Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us today for the CIO Strategy Snapshot, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, as always, I thank you for dropping by here on the Monday morning. A lot to catch up on, so looking forward to it and hope you had a nice weekend. I did, Dan. Yeah, I'm still digesting all the football from the weekend. It's quite an amazing weekend, but uh, yeah, focus on the market uh, this morning. To your point, Jason, I know all focus has been on market activity over the past few weeks, and the volatile conditions appear to be continuing with the futures this morning has even exacerbated over the past 40 minutes or so. And you think back just the start of 22, it's been a challenging period for investors. Now, to level set, Jason, what has unfolded over the past few weeks to have triggered such volatile market conditions? How did we get to where we are today? Well, I'd say there's a few factors that we can point to. And the first one, and the, the catalyst for what's happened initially was the move higher interest rates. Uh, you know, since the start of the year, the 10-year Treasury yield is up about uh, you know, 25 basis points. The 10-year real yield is up around 50 basis points. And so what we saw up into most of last week, and again, we can get to the, to the details of that later, but up to most last week, what we saw was a sort of a typical reaction where we had a mini rate shock in the market. Equities have pulled back, particularly those that are most sensitive to equities, which are our U.S. growth stocks. Uh, and if we look at the context of how large the move has been so far in the S&P 500, which is down, you know, like, uh, roughly seven and a half percent year to date, or only from its peak on January 3rd, this sort of pullback and correction is commensurate with uh, other situations in the past decade where we've seen sort of similar rise in rates in a short period of time and how equities responded. So that was sort of the first kind of factor. That's kind of, you know, for the most part, it sort of played out as, as you might expect. Other concerns that are sort of in the marketplace are uh, on the earnings side, we're still early in the earnings reporting season, it's a little over 10% uh, of S&P 500 companies have reported. The, uh, the, uh, the, the results are sort of in line with expectations, uh, even bidding slice, but some of the details, particularly in terms of cost pressures and wages in some segments of financial industry, it's sort of just renewed concerns about the you know, margin pressures. Uh, so that's been another factor sort of lingering in the background. Now we have the geopolitical tensions with Russia and Ukraine. You know, what, what can happen there? That's kind of another factor. Uh, so that's kind of added and amplified it. And now you've seen a bit of just sort of general sort of, you know, kind of de-risking to some extent among investors who haven't really been willing to kind of step in and buy this sell-off or buy this dip. They've been looking more to sort of, you know, protect and even maybe reduce exposure. Um, the one thing I'd say, this hasn't been thus far a, a growth shock or this sort of a growth scare driving the market. Uh, if we just look at across equity market performance in the U.S. and globally, it's not consistent with growth concerns. Uh, you know, the biggest you know, drawdown thus far, you know, through Friday's close, was kind of large cap growth stocks and NASDAQ, which are down roughly 12% from their peaks, uh, which were late last year. Uh, this compares to value stocks, which are down, you know, only like, you know, 3.5%. Uh, if we look outside of the U.S., other developed markets, as of Friday, we're down only 2%. Of course, you know, today we're seeing, you know, further pullback. Um, and even EM equities are up 1%, you know, led by China, but it was, you know, other countries doing as well. So if, if this was a growth scare, a global growth scare, then you wouldn't see that kind of performance, so at least as to this point in time. Uh, but I think there is now even that kind of lingering or kind of creeping growth concerns that, you know, if the Fed has to raise rates more than expected, could that slow down growth more than expected? Um, so really, it's a primarily rate store and primary U.S. growth stock story. Thus far, other factors in the background, I think just now at this point, a little bit of general anxiety, that's kind of causing some more of a de-risking at the moment. 
Well, Jason, very helpful. Thank you for putting this all in context. Just to recap, again, expectations for Fed tightening, rising rates, inflation, uh, the ongoing pandemic, you take into account geopolitical concerns. All of these factors, they serve as triggers of volatility and investor concern, as you pointed out for us, Jason. So how should investors be thinking about these risk factors and which among them, from your vantage point, oppose the greatest risk for returns over the first half? And is there anything else out there in the way of risk that you believe, Jason, we should be mindful of that might not be getting a lot of attention at the moment? Well, you know, the biggest factor that, that the markets are most focused on is the Fed, you know, because ultimately that's what's, you know, from a fundamental perspective, what's going to drive, you know, the markets as they start to tighten policy and whether the economy and the markets can handle that, whether inflation stays high or persists to stay you know, elevated and the Fed has to be even more aggressive in terms of withdrawing liquidity. So I think that's the overarching concern. And that's what, you know, that's kind of the driver of the rate move we've seen thus far this year. This week, we get another FOMC meeting, uh, you know, the meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday. At Wednesday, 2 p.m., we get the FOMC statement. And then roughly at 2.30, Fed Chair Jay Powell will give his press conference. So there's been, even in the past week, a bit of a shift in, in the market perception that perhaps they could start hiking with 50 basis points in March. Uh, that still seems quite unlikely, but that's a possibility. Uh, you know, the market has been pricing for a little more than four rate hikes this year. Uh, you know, but Jay Powell could say something to the effect that um, every meeting is live. There are a total of eight meetings this year. So once you eliminate this first meeting, that's seven more, which means there could be you know, seven rate hikes if, if every meeting truly is live. So if that they give sort of a hawkish tone or they you know, indicate that they're kind of happy with tightening the financial conditions, I wouldn't mind even seeing more of that because of inflation concerns. That was kind of spook the market investors. Um, you could also take a tone that's a little more dovish, at least relative to those fears. So just kind of reiterating what they've already said. And maybe even pushing back on the idea that, uh, you know, 50 basis points is, is possible in large, I think would calm, at least in the very near term, some investors' concerns. So that's the biggest sort of you know, factor to focus on. Uh, you know, earnings this week, next week, we'll get the bulk of the S&P 500 earnings. Further indications of how, you know, kind of, you know, wage pressures and other inflationary pressures are affecting margins. And the guidance that companies are giving will be important more at a micro level. Uh, and if it's positive, I think you could see a bit of a relief rally. If it's not, we'll continue to weigh in the market. The situation in Ukraine is will continue to sort of linger. In past, you know, these sort of geopolitical tensions, even sort of military incursions, tend not to be major market-moving events. And there's no reason to think that this will be different. The one factor that is a little bit different is that, you know, Russia is a major oil producer. You know, if this causes any sort of disruption in the supply of Russian oil, uh, or even sort of risks of that, oil prices could surge, you know, potentially quite a bit, up to over $100 a barrel. Uh, because there's very little excess supply right now, and the economy continues just to recover. Um, surging oil prices, again, that's inflationary. It also tends to start to you know, slow actual economic growth to some extent. So that's another, you know, kind of a, a risk. But a, a low risk is something that is sort of in the background. Something we haven't talked about thus far is, is what's happening in China. On the positive side, you know, China is making incrementally more measures to sort of ease policy to spur growth. But they also have a zero tolerance COVID policy that as some of the Omicron cases rise there, there is a bit of a risk that they could, to get, you know, to deal with the problem, really kind of lock down, that could have more significant supply chain disruptions that again, sort of just persist and push the, the supply chain recovery further out into the year. So I think those are the biggest kind of factors that are weighing on the markets right now. Um, but I think the market's also sort of optimistic on Omicron, that this is the wave of some passing and, and therefore we're going to transition to more of an endemic state. If that proves 
strong, and that could also be another headwind for the markets uh, as we move forward. So, Jason, at this point, you've covered what's happened to cause this correction and factors to worry about. So now maybe let's turn to the outlook. So given these set of conditions, what should investors expect to see near term, Jason, near term meeting maybe the next one to two months and the medium term through the balance of 2022? I think, you know, near term, uh, you know, in the next few weeks, you know, I think we should expect a minimum of, you know, more volatility or ongoing volatility. Uh, we may get some more pullbacks, but also some bounces that things perhaps get a little bit oversold. But at best, you know, might be very choppy action trading with sort of in a, in a range and no real either clear direction sort of breakout higher for equities, uh, you know, or, or significant sort of, you know, uh, further downside. Um, well, we haven't also reached, I think, this point in time, sort of a real capitulation level where investors are really de risk or people become so bearish that as they counter, you know, the indicator of extreme pessimism, we're sort of not there yet. Uh, but I think incrementally we're kind of getting to, to those levels. Um, so I think that's near term. That's the reality that we kind of face as investors. But if we kind of, you know, pull back a little bit and think about, well, where are we going to be in, let's say, you know, six, nine months from now? I think the fundamental story hasn't really changed that we had, you know, at the start of this year, which is still relatively positive outlook. Because nothing that's really moved and happened in the past couple of weeks changes the trajectory for you know, U.S. or global growth or even in the inflation outlook. Uh, and in some ways, you could say this, there's not, you know, positive developments, at least the developments thus far on that front are consistent with the base case. So we've seen you know, the Omicron wave looks like clearly the U.S. is starting to roll over, uh, and that could accelerate the next couple of weeks. Uh, similar out in other parts of the world. So collectively, on a global basis, uh, by mid-February, the Omicron wave could you know, largely be done. And we know from prior waves that once that happens, you know, economic activity tends to re-accelerate as people sort of start to kind of re-engage. Uh, economic data for the past few weeks has been disappointing, like it's been below expectations, which is to be expected, you know, given the disruptions from Omicron. Um, one data point I thought was quite interesting was just looking how the labor force has been impacted by so many people testing positive, not being able to go to work. Uh, you know, one estimate puts that the, the share of the population that was out because of COVID tripled from December to January, going from a little over 1% to 3.5%. Uh, that may actually understate it. And if you look at the more front-facing or public-facing, you know, work job, it might be closer to 10%. So just clear, you know, labor supply disruptions that are amplifying other kind of you know, supply chain problems overall. That's largely starting to abate, and that should kind of continue to improve. Also, supply chain problems, which have been a you know, key focus point, um, there's evidence that those are starting to kind of more clearly improve through you know, just different manufacturing survey delivery time, measures of sort of supply chain logistics in terms of transportation, and even sort of company commentary. Again, that's being disrupted a little bit by the Omicron implications, but as that wave passes, those, again, should continue to improve. Uh, and also, so I think a lot of that kind of the frothiness that we've seen in the markets for the past couple of years, that's been sort of unwound, um, you know, in the growth space and the tech space. Some of the more, you know, speculative areas have completely sort of out, unwound their outperformance versus the best of the market that began in 2020. And they're kind of back to the levels on a relative basis to where they were right when the pandemic began. So at least beneath the surface, some of that excess has been taken out. It doesn't mean there couldn't be more, but I think from that idea that there's just, you know, kind of bubbles kind of bursting, uh, I think that a lot of that's already happened. Uh, and the final thing I would say, just in terms of the equity outlook, historically, we don't get sustained, you know, kind of bear market, 20% type of corrections or more that last for a while, unless there's a recession that's sort of imminent. And nothing would indicate, given the strength of the U.S. economy right now, that that's likely, you know, in the next six to 12 months, you know, potentially later in 2023. But near term, 
you know, that seems very, very unlikely. So once we get to the point where I think the economic data starts to kind of clearly show this improvement, I think that's when the markets will start to get kind of more comfortable. But that could take another, you know, four weeks, six weeks, maybe into into the March timeframe. I think that clear guidance in terms of also what the Fed's path is likely to be. Uh, so until then, volatility, I think kind of once we get through it, you know, I think there's, there's more upside uh, sort of for equity markets as we look later into the year. So, Jason, with that outlook in mind, both near and longer term, coupled with the ongoing risk considerations you outlined for us just a few moments ago, how should investors be responding in the way of protecting their portfolios against further downside or even taking advantage of any opportunity that has emerged from these recent volatile conditions? Well, we still believe ultimately rates are going to go higher, so you don't want to have too much exposure to you know, rising interest rates, which is why we've been cautious on longer duration, a longer maturity, you know, kind of safe bonds and preferred things like senior loans that are floating rate instruments. And certainly a lot of funds have gone in, money has been flowing into those kind of funds. Within equities, we still prefer things that have done well this year, like financials, like energy, like the more value cyclical components. Their earnings thus far, we suggest a lot of the earnings growth uh, is coming from those kind of sectors because of the sign of the economic strength. They should also benefit on a relative basis from, from higher interest rates. I'm sure there might be some investors that are looking to potentially bond efficient in, in terms of the, the growth of tech space. Um, without getting into sort of, you know, kind of views on individual names, I would just say that we said at a market level, we think ultimately those will kind of, you know, market perform, but not necessarily outperform just because even if they sort of priced in more sort of macro uncertainty, some of their valuations will come down. Ultimately, the macro environment and rising rates is still a headwind for, for those stocks, just on a relative basis. Uh, and then looking outside of the U.S., things that have held up pretty well in developed markets, uh, such as you know the eurozone, UK, and then Japan as well. And we think there's kind of more upside there, just on a relative basis, because of their more cyclical nature, their value nature, and also they tend to benefit when interest rates rise. Uh, some other things that I think would provide you know both upside but also some hedging is commodities. Certainly, as a geopolitical hedge, as the Ukraine issue kind of escalates, oil prices rise, commodities will sort of benefit from that. Uh, this is an overall basket. Um, but because there is some uncertainty looking to things that are a little bit more maybe, you know, defensive, some quality defensive you know, parts of the market, such as healthcare, as opposed to outright defensive stocks, you know, still look kind of a, a nice way to kind of complement your portfolio. And the one thing I'd say is given the pullback we've seen thus far and given the rise of volatility, certainly on the short-term basis, the hedging is quite expensive. Um, so if you're looking to kind of protect your portfolio in the very short term, like over the next month or two, uh, I'd just be cautious in terms of like, you know, the cost-benefit trade-off, given the volatility has kind of surged quite a bit. Medium or longer term, I think just a little bit more, sort of, you know, you know, attractive opportunities there. But, um, you know, in terms of just trying to buy outside the protection right now, uh, is a little on the high and expensive side. Well, Jason, very helpful conversation, putting the recent market activity in context, uh, speaking to CIO's outlook for markets over the near to longer term and speaking to how investors should consider positioning accordingly. As mentioned, I know we're looking at a bumpy start here on this Monday morning as markets are set to open in just a few moments. So we'll be sure to continue to track conditions very closely, and uh, we'll be sure to have some follow-up conversations to keep our listeners and our clients informed on how to respond accordingly. But thank you again, Jason, for the time this morning. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. 
These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the piece which Jason has been making reference to during our conversation this morning, uh, the most recent CIO alert, the sell-off in context. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor to learn more or to receive a copy of the CIO alert directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.